0: Good morning. I am Pastor Mark, and this is E3, and we are going through the book of Philippians, which is actually a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul while while he was in prison um, to the church in Philippi. And so far, we've been covering just like uh, what it must have been like uh, to be in prison as Paul was trying to minister to these churches that he had planted and then also just being in need of, of people taking care of him and just uh, how the, the this community of faith, these these new Christians were coming together and supporting one another. Today in this part of the letter, that that Paul is actually talking about two people that have been very meaningful to him while he's been in prison and in his life. And the first person is Timothy. Now, Timothy was a uh, convert of Paul, that Paul uh, had led him to Christ. But uh, Timothy also was a third-generation Christian that that his grandmother, uh, Eunice, was actually, uh, excuse me, Lois was a follower of Christ, and his mother, uh, Eunice, was a follower of Christ, but Timothy's father was a Greek, and worshiped the pantheon of gods and, uh, was not a follower of Christ. And Paul became his spiritual father that, that Timothy went on to plant churches and, and do great ministries mentioned all throughout the new Testament. The other person that, that Paul mentions is, uh, Ephroditus. Uh, and, uh, Honestly, so I don't have to say Ephroditus a lot of times today. I'm going to tell you, uh, I did some research and found out what his friends called him. They called him Frody. So uh, so uh, everybody always called Ephroditus Frody, uh, unless it was his mother when he got in trouble. Then she would say, Ephroditus Augustus Maximus, you get in here right this instant. But for our purposes, uh, we will be calling him Frodi. Now, Frodi uh, is actually, was a leader in the, in the church of Philippi. And they heard that Paul was imprisoned and, and that he was going to need assistance. He was going to need food and care and things like that. So the church in Philippi sent uh, Frodi to go and be his companion and to help him during this difficult time. And the cool thing is that we'll uh, find out later in the book of Philippians that Frodi was actually the one who carried this letter written by Paul back to uh, the church in Philippi, and and uh, he was reading the uh, Frody probably was the one who read it to the church in Philippi, and they preserved it so we could learn uh, things today. And when I was like looking and just reading about this section about these two men, what really came out was uh, this idea of how we do ministry together and how we're interreliant reliant on one another. When we're trying to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, that, that hard things happen, bad things happen. The reality is that we think it's going to be all great, but but you know when we look at at uh, just the the story of Christianity and and what uh, Jesus even tells us that there what those of us who follow Christ are going to face opposition. That that we see you know I uh, we see that you know there's been. You know, hundreds of thousands of, of, of martyrs. You know, we know Paul himself was imprisoned for the gospel, that, that he was whipped for the gospel, that he was uh, put in chains because of the gospel, that he was shipwrecked while he was going to, to preach the gospel. You know, there's a Christian cliche out there that, that says the safest place is in God's will. You ever hear that? Well, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but uh, it, it implies that, hey, you want to be safe, be in God's will. Well, was Paul not in God's will when he was preaching the gospel? Was Stephen not in God's will when he was stoned for identifying um, uh, and pointing people to Jesus? Was Jesus not in God's will when he was nailed to the cross? The reality is that the safest place, is at least physically, is not always in God's will. In fact, it may be the mo- one of the most dangerous places. I was reminded of this last Saturday when our team uh, was going down to Haiti and, uh, to, to visit some of our gospel partners, uh, Kathy and Beaver Brooks. And, um, and Michael, Michael Hanna, who was leading the team, he sent me a text and said, hey, you know, check your, check your messages. Uh, Kathy just posted something about something that happened. And I'm like, okay, a little bit cryptic, but okay. So I went and, uh, and started reading her blog about, about what had happened, that the night before her and Beaver were in their in their bedroom and and the, uh, in their home, and they heard a knock at the door, and they heard their 17-year-old son saying, you know, mom and dad, you know, will you please open up the door? And they're like, that's kind of weird, you know, it's not like he's you know seven, you know, he's 17, and and so they opened up the door. and When they opened up the door, Kathy uh, said that she she saw her son bound. With uh, with uh, four men behind him, uh, with a gun to his head, they forced their way into the bedroom and they they put them all uh, in in one section. They kept uh, their son bound, and as they kept them in uh, uh, right there captive, they started ransacking their home. They started stealing all their electronics, their phones, their their everything. During this horrific experience where they didn't know if they would live or die, they didn't know if they were going to be assaulted, they didn't know, Kathy started to pray. And she said when she started to pray that she instantly saw the Holy Spirit coming in and and actually really convicting the man who was standing guard guard, uh, of her family. So much so that uh, he offered them water and, and, and he gave her a drink and gave Beaver a drink and then gave uh, her son a drink. And through this, this horrific ordeal that she just kept on praying and, and uh, eventually they left with, with their possessions, but they also left them with their, with their lives. And at the end of her blog, she's like, I know people are going to ask, you know, are we going to leave our mission? Are we going to leave Haiti? And, and she said with indignant uh, defiance in the, in the face of the enemy, said, no, we are called, we are staying. And I think that's such a, like, just an amazing thing. And then I just, I thought about, wow, we just last Sunday, um, uh, Two Sundays ago, but they went down Saturday, uh, commissioned our team to go down there in this horrific thing. And, and in a lot of ways, this is what the church in Philippi was doing for Paul, that they were sending someone there to help them in his time of need and their comfort. And I just thought the parallels was so amazing that our church here in Tallahassee had sent people to go and minister in the time of the Brooks, uh, uh, Beaver and Kathy Brooks' need. And I tell you this story, I mean, one, because it's part of our church family and, and what we're doing, but also to connect what's going on in this letter. Like a lot of times we think, oh, it's in the Bible. Well, yeah, it's in the Bible, but it's also real people in real circumstances, Paul in a real jail and, and needing real help. And I think that it permeates and shows us that, that you know what? In order for us to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, you know what? Some of us go. Some of us go into dangerous places like Haiti, like, like Rome where uh, Paul was being held captive and, and other places around the world. I think about Lloyd and Melanie and, and Lindsay Newberry's, who's here with us today, who's uh, visiting from Guatemala. She's getting married and... Um, uh, and I think about Kathy and Beaver, and I think of Katie and, and Cody Fox in Uganda and these people that, that, that go. But also part of the you, know, uh, the, you know, the Church of Philippi, they only sent Frody, right? The whole church didn't go. Like that would have been ridiculous if the whole church in Philippi went. It would be ridiculous for all of us to go. But that doesn't mean that we're called to anything less. It means we're called to something different. And we need to figure out, you know what, what is my part in the gospel? Am I a goer? Am I a sender? Am I a server? Am I a financial uh, contributor? Am I a combination of all of these things? You know, what does it look like but being part of the gospel? So if you turn to your Bibles in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at at two um, just kind of quick paragraphs of, of these two men, Timothy and, and Frode's, uh, Frode's, uh, in in what they are doing. So verse 19, Paul writes, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit so he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All others care only for themselves and not what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news I hope to send him to you just as I find out what is just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. You see what's happening is Paul's waiting for his sentencing. He doesn't know if he's going to be killed for proclaiming the gospel. He doesn't know if he's going to be in prison for a longer term. They don't know. He doesn't know if he's going to be released. And Timothy is there and keeping him comfort until he finds out what his, sentences, his sentence is. And, and, but he's sitting there and he's saying, you know what, I'm confident that he will uh, come and hopefully, and I will be able to follow soon. Now, if you go back to verse 20, it's really interesting what, uh, how Paul describes Timothy that we lose in the English translation. In verse 20, he says, I have no one else like Timothy. Now, if you, he actually uses a Greek word in there, and it's a very unusual word in the New Testament. It's not used very often. It's esopsikos. and esopsychos means like sold. And I love that just uh, that that imagery that that there's a spiritual heritage going on that Paul describes himself as, as Timothy's spiritual father and, and he is his son. And he, in his words saying he that that we are like souled meaning, you know what? We see the world the same way. We see the world as, as, uh, as we being called to be ambassadors of Christ. I have a dear friend Todd Chessum who came with uh me from California, one of the people that came with me from California to started this church and and one thing that i uh, uh, Todd and I would talk about and i would I would tell Todd I would always tell Todd and i'd do this i'd say we're we're knit together for the gospel we did we did life for uh, together for a lot of years. He used to live with my family that that and I said, we're knit together. And I would always do that. And it was interesting to me when I uh, started hearing him say the the same thing. He would tell people, Mark and I are knit together. We are esoposikos together. We are like soul. That doesn't mean that we're robots and we're the same. Todd and I are very, very different. Doesn't mean Todd and I didn't argue a lot. But... We both had this esopsikos, this like soul, this, this. You know what? We both knew that we were going to try our best to live a life worthy of the gospel, that we were gonna try our best to use our individual talents and, and, and gifting in order to serve Christ and to make him known. The... The next section that he talks about is about Frodi. In verse 25, he says, Meanwhile, I thought I should send Frodi back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. And I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. Verse 28. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you for I know you will be glad to see him and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ. And he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. And I think in these two portraits, these very short portraits of these of these two men, you really get a picture of who they were in the scope of the early church and how the gospel was being. Uh, spread that there were people who were on the front line like, uh, like Paul, who was planning churches, that, that he was uh, intellectually and spiritually and emotionally proclaiming the gospel. And he was being beaten and stoned and, and whipped and, and put in prison and things like that. But also that there were people who were coming along and supporting him. People like the church, you know, the, the faith community, the church in Philippi, who, who said, you know what, our friend Paul, who planted this church, is in need, and we're going to send Frody with money and gifts and, and food in order to help him through this hard time. And, you know, people like Timothy, who were, they were knit together, you know, together in their soul, they were like sold. But I think that it's important for us to realize how important it is uh, that we are in a family of faith that that, uh, Paul talks about in in other letters as the body of Christ, that each and every one of us do our part. And the reality is that not all of us have been called to do ministry in Haiti. Not all of us have been called to Uganda. Some of us have been called to be the church here in the United States, here in Tallahassee serving one another, serving serving those who we send, serving our community who are far from God, who does not know of God's love. And together we use our unique time and talent and treasures to, to, to make God known. And I was thinking about this, you know, just the importance of doing ministry together because the reality is there's no lone rangers in ministry. There's no... There's no example of that in the New Testament, that the idea of of ministry and the idea of being with Christ is also the idea of being with each other, that there's this idea of coming together in unity and we have unity in the Lord Jesus and to glorify him. So I came up with five like really important reasons that I thought is just like, why do we do ministry together? Why is the story and the relationship between Frody and Timothy and Paul so important? How does it, it, it kind of illuminate how we're meant to do life together? So the first One is the reason that we do life together is to support one another. Just like Timothy and Frodi are there to support Paul, we're to be we're able to support one another. In Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine, the scripture says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. This became real evident to me. Several weeks ago, we were invited to a friend's cabin in Colorado to go skiing. And uh, we're avid skiers. We do it, you know, once every decade, you know. Like clockwork, you know everything. So we were out there, and, and uh, it was just a great gift, and it was a great it was a great time when we went out there. But the funny thing was, uh, uh, our our friend uh, who goes to this church, uh, his name rhymes with uh, Jamie Thompson, uh, was snowboarding down this hill, and he lost control, and uh, he fell. And uh, when those who were, I'm not good enough to ski with him, but those uh, who were skiing with him uh, came up to him later, he had fallen by himself and he was stuck. I think we have a picture. (laughs) (laughs) And he couldn't move. As you can see, he's like going down a hill and his board is stuck in the snow and he'd been stuck there waiting for someone uh, to help him. And, and, I love it that they came and, and they decided to take a picture rather than help him. I was like, for, that's true friendship, right? When you're in need, you know, he's sitting there doing push-ups in the snow with, you know, with his snowboard there. But I just thought that really, you know, illuminates this this scripture. If we, uh, uh you know, if somebody falls, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And he would have been, you know, he says, I could not move. You know, to hear him tell the story, he's like, I could not move. And if, if the other people didn't come up, he would still be there. We, and we'd miss him. So verse 11, likewise, two people lying close together who are married can keep each other warm. I think it's implied, so I thought I'd just imply, I, I just make it explicit. But how can one be warm alone? I don't know. Have you ever been to Florida? <laughs> <laughs> A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. There's, uh, three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This idea that, that God's telling us that, you know what, we need support of one another. Some people are wise. Some people are brash and, and, and adventurous. Some people uh, have been afflicted with affluence. Some people uh, have uh, been, you know, called to go, you know, that, that but together we're able to serve one another. Together, we are able to inspire one another and support one another. The next one is growth. Proverbs uh, 27, verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And here's the reality is by ourselves, we get dull. That that we fall to our lowest common denominator. We all have blind spots. We, we all just kind of uh, fall into an area of comfort. And this idea of iron sharpening iron, you know, that that's not a soft snuggly thing. You know, that's two hard things going together and it's loud and it creates heat, but it sharpens the blades that that when we do life together that and we are open and authentic and we speak into one another's lives that that yeah there's that that grinding of the the iron but that produces us to be sharper in our lives to grow into the likeness of Christ the next one is encouragement we, we serve together, and it's important that we serve together and do life together because we're able to encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect uh, our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I actually really like how the NIV puts this, Hebrews 10. It says, uh, encourage one another to uh, outbursts of love and good deeds. I just love that idea, Like, like I'm sitting there and I'm encouraging you and I'm encouraging you and you're sitting there and suddenly you have this outburst of love and good deeds and you go like running down the street loving and serving people and doing all that I just I love the imagery of that that we that that's when we come together we're so encouraged to take that step out to to do something bold to to be encouraged because honestly the discouragement happens in isolation but when we come together, that it should be an encouragement. It's one of the big things that I see is, is what I do as a, as a pastor is to equip and encourage people to live the life that, that God has envisioned for them. The next one is accountability. Paul writes in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 14 to 22, it says, brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy Encourage those who are timid. Take care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ." Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good and stay away from evil of every kind. You know, there's just this idea of, you know what, accountability to one another. You know, especially this part of, of, you know, urging one another not to be lazy. That, that laziness is probably one of the biggest sins of the 21st American church. That we've settled we think that showing up is is what it's all about. And I was thinking about this this idea and I don't know about you but if you ever played sports and I you know I played baseball and and a little bit of football growing up and stuff like that and and what our teams would do, and I think normal you know, teams do, is you know, after the game, everybody would go and have pizza and stuff like that together. And, and one thing that you learn really, really quick is when you're having dinner with everybody, you don't want to be the only person with a clean uniform, right? Right? You want to have grass stains on it. You want to, you know, you want to have, you know, some, some bruises. You want to have some, you know, blood on there. Not yours, the other guys. But you want to have some blood on your uniform and some dirt and stuff like that. Why? What does that symbolize? You were in the game. I mean, the last thing you want to do is like, you know, not have to wash your uniform after being at, at the game. You know, I remember uh, I had a pair of pants that, that, that had a grass stain in it that just wouldn't come out, and I loved it, because even when I went up to the game, before I played, it showed that I had played before, that I was in the game. And, and you know, honestly, there's too many of us whose uniforms are far too clean. There's no grass stains, there's, there's, no, there's no dirt. There's no blood, and we got to get into the game. Now, we have to get in the game either, you know, I, and, the, and the great thing is, I mean, there, there's such a variety of ways of getting in the game. Not everybody has to be the quarterback or the wide receiver or a defensive end or, or anything like that, that there's lots of ways to serve to the measure of your faith and to moving forward and being accountable to that, to getting out there and doing it. And then finally, it's God's ideal that we serve together and we are in community together. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse four, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. This idea that, you know, we know God by community. God himself is community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Three in one, known by theologians as the Trinity. That that God is community. That God's vision for us and all his creation is Community. Everything he's created has pointed to that, to our ecosystem, to, to how we're wired, to who he is. And that we all come together, and if it's, it's relationally good, it is created by God, and this is his ideal state for us, is interacting with, with one another as the body of Christ to bring hope to the hopeless, love to those who don't feel love. And light to those who are in dark. And finally, I want to end with this one from Jesus, Matthew 18, verse 20. For where there are two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. Then again, this idea that, you know what, coming together, and when we come together, the Spirit of God is there. And that doesn't mean when we're by ourselves, God isn't there, but when we are isolating, if we are saying, I'm isolating myself, you're imposing what ultimately would be eternal separation from God and people, which is known as hell. Heaven is a right relationship with God, a right relationship with people, with our sins forgiven, and being in God's ideal state. So link on to this idea of finding people to do life with the uh, isopsychos, the like-souled, where we can knit together to make Christ known and let people know that Christ loves them. Can you pray with